Welcome to Purdy's Podcast. Today's episode is on the history of the word boycott and some historical examples. Dear World Civ students, the summer of 2020 has seen waves of civil rights protests and thousands, millions even, of people in the streets calling for an end to illegal and unjust police violence directed toward black Americans. As we move into September, necessary reforms, especially in states like Wisconsin, have not been put into place by legislatures. Jacob Blake, an African-American father from Kenosha, Wisconsin, was shot in the back seven times by police officers and is now paralyzed from the waist down and in the hospital. Also this week, at least two protesters have died, apparently having been killed by a white teenaged vigilante armed with a rifle. As you know, Thomas Jefferson wrote in 1776 that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Further, the Fourth Amendment to the United States Constitution guarantees that the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated, and no warrants shall issue, but upon probable cause, supported by oath or affirmation, and particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons or things to be seized. People of color and black Americans in particular are being deprived of their right to life and their right to be secure in their persons against arbitrary, violent, and illegal police action. On Wednesday, August 26th, NBA players for various teams in the playoffs agreed not to play their games in what several players, including LeBron James, said amounted to a boycott of these contests. And their statement is in the letter in the footnote. Interestingly, in the Los Angeles Times on August 27th, reporter Nathan Feng wrote that some lawyers argue that this is not a boycott at all. Rather, it's a kind of labor strike. That said, we will assess this action by the NBA players as a boycott and study the history of boycotts in the assignment that you have for the course. The history of the term boycott. The definition of boycott. To join with others in refusing to deal with a person, organization, or country, usually to express dis disapproval or to force acceptance of terms. So where does this term come from? I didn't know until I stumbled upon it this summer. Ireland has been the site of so many sorrows and injustices, wars of brother against brother and Catholics against Protestants. When I was in high school, I never expected peace would come to Ireland in my lifetime. After all, Sunday Bloody Sunday had come only in the 1970s, and there were still terrorist attacks in the United Kingdom perpetrated by Irish nationalists. My grandparents raised me, and my grandfather Harry Purdy used to shake his head at the dinner table and say, what a shame and what a pity peace would never come to Ireland. His father had emigrated at age 17 from Belfast, Ireland, to the United States to Philadelphia in 1910 and had seen the troubles up close and personally as a child. 
As to boycotts, in 1880, Ireland was troubled as the first site of English colonization and imperialism. The Irish people had been suffering for centuries. A great potato famine had killed one million and caused another million Irish people to emigrate, mainly to the United States, Canada, and Australia. And so Ireland lost about 25% of its population of 8.2 million from 1845 to 1849. Irish people had come to depend on the potato in the first half of the 19th century as their main foodstuff, and as it is packed with protein and nutrients, this worked to keep starvation at bay. Then when a fungus called Phyophora infestans destroyed the potato crop three years in a row, there wasn't enough food to eat, and most of Ireland began to starve. English landowners still demanded the rent from their tenant farmers in Ireland, and soldiers often carried out the evictions of Irish families, sometimes even tumbling, tearing down their houses. Many Irish peasants gave up and simply enlisted in the British Army. Others fought back in Ireland itself, killing their overseers and shooting British soldiers sent to evict them. Ireland became known as, quote, a land of squalor, with large ragged families living in mud huts with no furniture and the company of pigs. And there's a picture of the famine memorial in Dublin, Ireland in the letter. By 1847, in the height of the famine, the British, ser the British served 3 million soup rations, had instituted price controls, and were importing meal from their colonies in India. But by now, a population weakened by hunger began to die also from disease, mostly typhus. Crime ran rampant as people were desperate to eat. The British blamed the victims, with the minister in charge of Irish relief complaining, quote, what we have to contend with is not the physical evil of the famine, but the moral evil of the selfish, perverse, and turbulent character of the people. Irish families fled to the seaports, dying on the roads along the way, and often their landlords paid their passage to the United States, to Canada, to anywhere. When they arrived at their new homes, the Irish people who survived carried a lasting hatred of Britain. Oscar Wilde's mother, Lady Jane Wilde, wrote powerful poems about the famine, and I excerpt one, the Exodus, here below. A million a decade. Calmly and cold, the units are read by our statesmen sage. Little they think of a nation old, fading away from history's page. Outcast weeds by a desolate sea, fallen leaves of humanity. Now in 1880, there was again unrest in the countryside of the Emerald Isle, about 30 years after the potato famine. Tenant farmers who worked themselves to the bone but who did not own the land they worked were not able to pay their rent in 1880. The weather had been bad for farming. Money was tight. The tenant farmers needed a break from paying their rent. Well, class, they didn't get a break. Their landlords, who lived far away, and was one of the many absentee landlords in Ireland at the time, sent his agent to force them to pay up. And guess who the landlord's agent was? Charles S. Boycott. Charles S. Boycott. Yes, the name Boycott, the term Boycott, simply comes from this guy's name. Mr. Boycott was a retired English army captain who worked as an agent for absentee landlords 
in County Mayo, Ireland. His boss, the landlord, threatened to evict his tenant farmers if they didn't pay their rent. But the tenants demanded a reduction. So when Mr. Boycott tried to serve eviction notices, the community turned their backs on him. His servants and workers quit. And Boycott's own crops began to rot. Boycott's boss hired 50 volunteers from Northern Ireland to harvest Boycott's crops. They did it successfully, but only because they were closely guarded by hundreds of police and British soldiers. This historical episode is how boycott has come to mean shunning a person or corporation or even a nation to assert a grievance. Yet even before 1880 and the Charles Boycott episode, we can see examples of actions that we would call boycotts. A rose by any other name would smell as sweet. A boycott by any other name is a boycott. For example, Americans refused to buy British tea for years because of the 1773 Tea Act passed by Parliament. And this boycott, can we call it that if it occurred 100 years before Charles S. Boycott? Sure. Reached a crescendo in the Boston Tea Party. In later years, boycotts proved to be an effective tool of social protest movements. The tobacco protest of the early 1890s in Iran was a hugely successful pushback by the people against the Shahs giving a monopoly of tobacco distribution and retail to a British company. When a cleric declared a fatwa against tobacco use, it doomed the tobacco deal, but more importantly, gave the Shia religious leaders a prime role in national politics that they never relinquished. And now they run Iran. Chinese consumers refused to buy American goods in 1905 after the Congress passed the Exclusion Act, or rather renewed the 1882 Exclusion Act in new and restrictive ways, strictly restricting immigration to the United States from China. Gandhi organized the 1930 March to the Sea in India to protest the salt tax levied by colonial authorities, and his idea was for the people to make salt themselves from the ocean. Rosa Parks' refusal to move to the back of her Montgomery, Alabama bus in 1955 led to a long boycott by African Americans of the bus systems in that city until racial, until racial segregation on buses was ended by law. In California, beginning in 1965, Cesar Estrada Chavez and many Mexican American grape workers joined a group of Filipino-American grape workers in a boycott of local grapes combined with a labor strike to argue for higher wages. The United States and other countries boycotted the 1980 Summer Olympic Games held in Moscow to protest the Soviet Union's 1979 invasion of Afghanistan. And then in 1984, the Soviets and their allies boycotted the Summer Games held that year in L.A., which is how we racked up such a gaudy haul of gold medals that year, class. Many countries boycotted the white apartheid government of South Africa in the 1970s, 80s, and up to 1991, trying to force that government to release Nelson Mandela from prison and to end apartheid. The U.S. Congress passed an anti-apartheid act in 1986, which Republican President Ronald Reagan vetoed, and then the Congress overrode his veto, and these measures helped a lot to end apartheid in South Africa. Do boycotts work to secure the short-term and long-term goals of the protesters? When are they most likely to work? 
How is the NBA players' boycott similar to these historical boycotts and others? What are the players' aims? Are they similar to the aims of past boycotters? Is a walkout like the 1968 East L.A. blowouts by Chicanx students in several L.A. public high schools the same thing as a boycott? When is it appropriate to boycott a product, a company, a job, a school, a country? These are questions we'll address in our World Civ Assignment on boycotts. Thank you so much, and um, thank you for being on today with Purdy's Podcast.